This episode of the 551 Podcast is brought to you by Town Hall Brewery in Minneapolis. Located at Seven Corners in West Bank, Town Hall has become one of the best places to pre-game or post-game Minnesota United, as well as catch the away games and U.S. men's national team matches. Here's the music. Hello and welcome to the 551 Podcast. I am Wes Berdine. I am uh, joined by a, a latecomer. We were going to record this podcast without him, but look who he is. It's Jeff Reuter. Hello, sir. I am the super sub of the podcast. I'm the Clint Dempsey this week, and uh, I'm not taking to it very well, but damn it, I'll score anyway. Gonna get the uh, going to get the equalizer. And then on the phone, our man in Philadelphia is Alex Schieferdecker. Hey, man. Hey. How are you guys? Uh, you know, collectively, we are doing very well. Thank we need you. to be able to say we have a man in or a woman in X in more cities in the country. So, Alex, I mean, what I'm saying is, Alex, we need you to travel up and down the East Coast. Yeah, I'd like I to. Think I think I have you, a man in lots of if, countries. If cities. Town Hall wants to pay for it, uh, yeah, it's either Town it Hall or Patreon. So, yeah, yeah. You know. So, we can work that out somehow. <laughs> Um, so on this week, uh, we are going to do kind of a, a lightning episode because we're going to record two uh, podcasts this week. The first is we're going to talk about these two Minnesota United games that happened this week. And then later on in the week, uh, by the magic of the internet, we're going to record it immediately after this podcast, but we'll put it out, get this, later in the week. Weird. It's going to be a mid-season review. We are halfway okay. through the season, so we are going to give grades. We are going to make judgment. And, uh, you know, things like that. We'll even grade ourselves. I get an A. Um, and so with that, let's, let's just, before we do, we won't do the music. We'll just do a couple of good, good, and weird. We don't have a bad this week. But uh, the good is the fantastic uh, uh, Northwest Cascadia Derby between Seattle and Portland that you've already made a joke about, Jeff. Mm -hmm. uh, two, ended 2-2. Two, two. There were, you know, within... By the end of the first half, there were two uh, PKs, a red card. There was late theatrics. Well, it was so it wasn't two PKs, but what it was was two goals in oh. rapid succession. So, yes, um, but what you're re referring to is the kind of questionable um, sending off of Brad Evans. Only questionable because the refs kind of tried to change the Dogzo rule um, so that you couldn't get like the double penalty where you lose a man and you lose a goal essentially. But then it was as easy as a penalty kick on Dairon Espria's header just before halftime. Um, Seattle had been dominating the game up until that point. And I, I do also want to say a quick thing as we close out on Rivalry Week, sponsored by Heineken, as I don't think any of us are drinking Heineken right now. Um, it was kind of a snoozer for the most part. Uh, NYC versus Red Bull New York. Red Bulls looked absolutely flat. Um, the, the, the Texas two-step between Houston and, um, and Dallas was kind of a snoozer at 1-1, but... Uh, yeah, like you said, Wes, this was a, a fantastic game. Alex, did you get to catch uh, Cascadia? No, and, and one of the disappointments of this week was that the game had to be moved back in time because of how hot it was. So it was super late on a travel. Sunday. And back I, in time. Yeah, exactly. little, or, so yeah I didn't little get foot to, uh, was I didn't, I didn't get to striker. see the game. And, and I, as you say, I missed, I think, the best Fine. game of, of, of Rivalry Week sponsored by Heineken. So... 
yeah, it was, it was, uh, it's a bummer, but it, it sounded like a lot of fun. My next good is, uh, just leading up to this weekend, uh, July 1st and 2nd is this huge thing that happens in St. Paul called the Hmong Freedom Fest. Uh, it, it's, it's largely based around soccer, uh, among the kind of Hmong immigrants in, I didn't even mean to do the among, sorry. Okay, come on, man. Uh, among the Hmong <laughs> immigrants in, uh, in the Twin Cities, soccer is huge. It's a big part of this celebration. It happens up at Como, uh, Park, um, where there are some big soccer fields. So the, the final happened on the second, which is Sunday, uh, so, I've actually never been up to it, so Sunday I've got a little bit free, so I'm going to try to to uh, take the kids up there. Um, anyway, so people should go to that mm -hmm. and be excited about it because it is fun. The the weird though, um, sticking in MLS or going back to it uh, this week, San Jose Earthquakes were able to get a two one win, move up to fifth place overall, seventh place on points per game in the West. Uh, things were sitting pretty well, and then Dom Kinnear uh, got canned by the Earthquakes. Um, the, the the general manager said that he was going to sack him at the end of the season anyway. The the the, the tough part is that um, your team is winning, your team is in the playoffs. It's a bit of an odd time to do it. I personally think that when San Jose came to Minnesota and were able were able to squeak out three points, that probably gave him an extra month to this. Um, but the timing that's it's like Jeff Cassar after the third week of the season. It just makes no sense to me. Yeah. Um. I mean, I just wonder if. The, so the GM GM Fiorelli, um, Fior, never mind. I, did, I said it wrong. The GM, yeah, the that's GM. why I just skipped it. Yeah, uh, I I just wonder if anyone has told him that his team is terrible. Like you don't have good players. So, well, he's a new he's new to the team, so it's not really his fault. And yeah, it's, it's one mean, of those things where like a new guy comes in and he's eventually replaces everybody with his own people. And this is the this is the final. Oh, I know, but just yeah. now you've got to hire someone uh, for the rest. Of, you know, you've had a, ha, got to have a temporary person or placeholder until the end of the season. And I mean, well, the guy, might, the guy who's taking over does not have the interim tag, which is kind oh. of curious. No, that's true. So that did surprise it me. It may have just been. It may be just this guy. We'll, we'll see how he does. It was yeah. He's he was the Chris, tech director. Chris Leach. Chris Leach. Yeah, Chris Leach. Yeah, he he was huh. the tech director before this. He was brought in by this ownership, kind of helped start build it from the ground up. And the idea is that he's a newer, exciting soccer mind than Dom Kinnear, which is to say he's an exciting soccer mind. So <laughs> to say oh, he's burn. a soccer mind. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Um, I mean, like you said, Wes, it's not the most inspiring of rosters. I wasn't impressed by the DP that they just brought in ahead of the summer window, but we'll see. I, I mean, sometimes. Teams rally behind coach firings and getting a new guy in, and sometimes they become real Salt Lake. So we'll see. Sometimes. Uh, yeah. Let's take a break and go to big quarters, and then we'll be back, and it's Minnesota United time. Welcome back to the 55-1 podcast. I'm Wes. I've got Jeff and Alex uh, with me. And we're going to talk Minnesota United, but I'm going to put out one final call for the reader poll. Um, we've had some uh, some great responses, and you can go, you can win a gift card to Town Hall Brewery, and uh, please go do that. Just it, it'll be in the post. Um, we'll tweet it out regularly, 
uh, just go in, vote. It takes three and a half minutes. Vote for your favorite player for all these things. Uh, it, it helps us out a lot. It would mean a lot to me. Um, with that said, last Wednesday, Minnesota United, Portland, ends up 3-2. It was uh, an exciting match. Alex, why don't you uh, why don't you take us through this first? What 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 do you want to talk about here? Well, it was it was it was a match where I think that the the Loons were the better team, and they looked night and day from the way they had looked last week against Salt Lake. I mean, it was it was just it was like an entirely different team out there. Last week, we sort of bemoaned how the offense wasn't really clicking. And, you know, we, we sort of complained about about how uh, the team had just looked uninspired. And then they came out of the gates and were fantastic against Portland. They scored in the first 10 minutes. Uh, Portland rallied back. The Loons scored again. Portland rallied back. And then the Loons uh, put them away uh, at the end of the game. And it was it was like the one of the first Minnesota games this year where I never really doubted that we were going to win, which is so odd. But I, from the very beginning, the way that we were playing, I thought this is, this is one that we've got easily. And, you know, it, it wasn't easy, but we did pull it out. Uh, and uh, it was really nice to see. So our three stars were um, Coleman, Molino, and Ibsen. Jeff, which which one of these do you want to sing the praises of first? Uh, I want to sing the praises about Brent Coleman, actually. Um, I, I think you had had a tweet something about the effect of, is Fernando Adi a leprechaun because he was in Brent Coleman's pocket all day? Um, and I, I think it's very easy to lose track of which defender is marking which attacker in most games, but this one it was very clear. Coleman's marching orders were stop Fernando Adi, Calvo's were contain Diego Valeri. And I thought that that was a great pair of matchups. I thought uh, talking with Brent after the game, he said, I knew I wouldn't be able to like let him get into his momentum and then stop him. So my entire plan was just to kind of keep pushing him back towards the center of the park, um, hold him offside a little bit, actually like physically stop him from starting to turn over his shoulder, things like that, which Adi always does. And I mean, Fernando was just an absolute non-factor. And you compare that to the season opener uh, where Adi just ran rickshot over Minnesota in the second half. Um, it was absolutely night and day. And I, I think personally, yeah, the Loons conceded two goals. One of them was on a, a PK um, based off a questionable decision that Shuttleworth made. And the second one of them um, came off of a, a pretty good run of play and across. But I thought that was Brent's best game in MLS so mm -hmm. far. Yeah. Um, uh, Kevin, Bellino, Kevin Molino, most notably in this match, he had a, he had a pretty, pretty great game, but, um, his best moment was the amazing, uh, assist he had for Christian Ramirez, nutmegs his guy and just, it's a perfect cut. Christian makes a perfect run. And then Christian, his first touch isn't very good. It pops up. And what's weird is, you know, you watch it again in the moment. It was just so beautiful, but in the moment, like watching again, it's just like, why did he choose to do that? He chose the most difficult thing, which is the ball's in the air. I'm going to jump up and chip it with the outside of my boot. I don't think he chose that. I think it came off because it kind of fell at his feet and it bounced strangely yeah. or like it hit his foot and up. And you well, can see actually in his face, if you look at the replay, he goes just like, oh, shit. You know, like this did not do what I wanted it to do. And then he's able just to like, 
I don't know, Bruce Lee kicking. There was into no the net. other way, I guess, to just bring it back down and go around. Yeah, it, yeah. It, well, it was there, uh, there, it was pretty spectacular, pretty beautiful to watch. There was, I mean, like he could have just let it fall, trapped it, right? And I think that that's what seventy-five, eighty percent of strikers in MLS would have done. And what is so amazing and continually amazes me about Christian is that he 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 finds the right he, he always has like the right key for the right lock you know he he has an uncanny ability to put the ball in the net in every possible way there's no i keep saying this but there is no like typical christian ramirez goal right. he scores on tappins he scores with his header he scores from distance he scores weird you know, karate kicks after after sort of stretching out and, and missing crane the... Crane kick. It was a crane kick. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. He scored a bicycle. I mean, he scores... He has an instinct. When he has an opportunity, he will always take the ball and he will put it on goal. Sometimes it's saved. You know, occasionally he misses. But his instinct and his ability to find a way to get the ball on the goal is really, really incredible. And... I mean, I know that I know that we we often just you know read out the litany of praises for him, but there are not that many. There, I mean, I I can't think of American goal scorers, strikers, who have that bit of magic. Now, certainly there are strikers who do uh, things well, far better than him. But uh, you know, Josie's not really scoring magical goals. Go- Josie's scoring good goals, but he he's. He's a lot more bread and butter, mm-hmm. and uh, and Christian does weird things. He scores beautiful goals. He, he, we've already seen it this season. The only striker I can think of who has that kind of similar similar level of surprise in how he scores his goals and variety of ways he can score is Clint Dempsey. I mean, not as much this year necessarily, yeah. but um, pre the heart condition, pre recovery. Uh, Dempsey. I mean, it was Dempsey does shit and he tries shit and he's able to do and that. one and more. What, it, David Villa. But David I'm talking Villa American. Has, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Oh, yeah. yeah in the American I thought player, I was thinking yeah. in MLS. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're right. right. No. I mean, Dempsey has has magic. And that's but, if you're, but if you're also talking about people who are willing to try shit, that would be our third star for the match, and that's Ibsen. Um, Ibsen was, as always, swarming all over the midfield. I talked about how in that RSL game, was that the, the game the week before? Or was there one more yeah, between? Yeah. Okay. How uh, Beckerman was able to contain Ibsen and Minnesota looked entirely lost. And despite having two very capable defensive midfielders in Diego Chara and uh, David Guzman, um, they weren't able to stop Ibsen. And Ibsen was back to doing his kind of Ibsonity. He was, I think he had another... Um, or was that the game where he got tackled? He caught the ball between his feet. He like lifted it up in the air with his legs and then kicked it over to a teammate on the wing. That was yeah. that was. Uh, or was that a different? That week? was Salt Lake. But that's the kind of shit that he does. Yeah. you know. So I, I thought that he had a pretty impressive game there. I, I was amazed that they that I kept on looking and saw him with so much space, and I was like, why? Why is Portland not just shutting him down? Like, right. Did you guys well, not that, get the memo? Do you not listen to our own, to this podcast? Apparently, <laughs> that's apparently another Caleb topic. Doesn't. I, I think uh, well, that's another topic. I just just briefly, if you look at like Portland fans, Portland fan pages, and Portland news outlets, people are really growing disillusioned with Caleb Porter. And I mean, the, the inability of the team to to win on the road is pretty notorious. But they have this thing where they go up a goal and they don't 
press. They sort of take their foot off the gas. And apparently that was really the story of the Seattle match. They were up a man for most of the game. And I, I think that I, I agree with you, Weston, that the game plan that Portland brought to Minnesota seemed really off. It just, they didn't, you know, if, if Mike Petke and RSL can figure it out, how come Caleb Porter, the sort of supposed tactical genius, and Portland, who have so many tools at their disposal, how come they can't figure out how to do a better job in, in holding down Minnesota? I, I don't well, understand it. I, Portland are a weird team. Something They are so disappointing given the tools that they have. Well, uh, compared to his predecessors in Portland, who were, I mean, awful coaches, um, Porter was at first kind of seen as this wunderkind, able to catch MLS teams by surprise with his tactics, use, get the most out of his players, um, rotate Darlington Nagby to actual positive effect instead of wasting his talent. And then 2015, they won the cup. I, I think for whatever reason, whatever game plan he must have used in that cup run, he just kind of kept all of 2016. Team started to catch up. It got a little stale. They missed the playoffs. And then this year, it just looks like he's totally out of ideas. And MLS has kind of passed him by already. Well, I had that article last week that um, now I totally had forgotten about until now, but... Um... <laughs> But that that talked about the 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 NESL players proving uh, people wrong about lazy stereotypes, uh, and then immediately Kalen Carr uh, was had lazy stereotypes about NESL players on Extra Time Radio. But surprise, surprise. Um, but my point was that when when we started that match, if you if you went man to man, like looked at the the team sheet. The defenders for uh, Portland were not good enough, particularly center backs. Not at all. Kogu's not good enough. Who was Roy Miller is a usual fullback, and he's real. He's not good at fullback either. So, and that was at the beginning of the season. That's what I knew. I believed Portland would be crap because of that reason. But um, their players. I mean, Valeri. If we had Valeri on our team, he would be instantly better than twice twice as good as anyone on our team. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fernando Adi is an amazing striker. Um, Diego Chara, Darlington Nagby, all, all these players are so friggin' good. And I was surprised that they put out a really strong squad because they had the weekend game. Right. Um, and they just weren't that good. I don't think Caleb Porter's a good coach at all. Portland should be one of the top three teams in the West. Absolutely. They've had that talent for years. Mm -hmm. They spend money. Not crazy Seattle money, but they spend money. They do a good job of putting good players on that field. Caleb Porter is bad. He won the MLS Cup because, you know, you get into the playoffs and you can get a good run of uh, form going. And, and that center win. back pairing of Ridgewell and Borchers was, I mean, lightning in a bottle at playoffs. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that, yeah, I think that that guy, uh, I mean, I love making fun of him because he's such a nerd, mm -hmm. but... He, yeah, he's, he, he should be gone. It or really keep makes, him around Portland because I love watching you do that. It really makes you appreciate the work that Peter Vermees does in sporting. They're good mm -hmm. every year. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, Oscar Pereja in Dallas as well. Yeah. Um, and another coach who I think probably got more credit than they deserved at the beginning of their career and I've clearly had the league pass them by is Carl Robinson over at Vancouver. Um, so we're moving a little bit north in Cascadia, but staying in Minneapolis, where Vancouver comes on Saturday night to TCF Bank Stadium. Um, take an early lead in the second half, um, or in the first half, sorry, 
let's uh it's a tale of two halves in a lot of ways i think that you're getting good at these cliches jeff thank you i'm working on it mm. um it was just i mean it was an absolute touch of class um a scintillating run on the side they threw a spanner in the and, works i mean honestly you couldn't have written a script like this yeah. you really could not have written a script like this um but a viva pa- back pass um i think one thing that we actually kind of missed in the portland game is that Kevin Venegas was starting at right back. Right. Mark Birch um, picked up a groin injury. He is out for at least 8 to 12 weeks, um, probably the full season, to be completely honest, because that brings you to mid-September. And that's, I mean, do you rush back a veteran left back or do you just hold on to him for 2018? Um, or does he even want to come back? I mean, that's that's a long time to figure out, and that's assuming the whole recovery process goes perfectly. So... Instead of Justin Davis going left back, Jerome Tiaison going to right back, you have Kevin Venegas at right back, Tiaison at left back. Um, Viva in the Portland game, you could kind of start to see glimpses of pre-Bournemouth friendly injury Viva, where he's picking the ball up in the defensive half. He is dribbling through, passing up the wing pretty easily because wings can never defend mm-hmm. unless you're Miguel Ibarra, and then getting into the attacking third and starting to whip in some crosses. Um it's starting to link up, but you know, as I was talking to some people who sit pretty close behind uh, the Minnesota United bench, and they were talking about how increasingly you would just see that you know Heath and Fuller and all these guys screaming at Viva to get back and get into the and just get into the right shape. Um, but against Vancouver, which is where this this came from, he had this just complete brain fart back pass to Shuttleworth that was that was picked up by none other than Breck Shea, uh, father of Zeppelin Shea. True. And uh, and then Shuttleworth, you know, Shuttleworth is forced into giving up a PK. Thankfully, Shuttleworth did not get sent off. Um, and so uh, that starts terribly. And then I think it's Cronin maybe should have picked up uh, Tony Chani and Tony Chani heads the ball in um, from a corner right before the, the end of the first half. It wasn't a t- terrible first half, but it wasn't very good. You know, it was... Well, it was, yeah. we had 76% possession. We controlled the ball the entire half. We had the ball in their final third, you know, at least half the time. I mean, it was, it was pretty crazy. Uh, that was the weirdest... 0-2 deficit I think I've seen in soccer in a long, long time. It wasn't even like they were putting together good counterattacks. It was like we made two mistakes and were punished extremely harshly for them. And we were putting all this pressure on, but they were pretty packed, pretty compact in the box. And we weren't able to get any penetration in the center. And so we were doing a lot of crossing. And... But- they were heading it out. But crossing uh, without that, targets. Well, there were lots of targets. They just have Tim Parker, who's a very good defender in the air, and David Osted, who, who commanded his box. I mean, we were pretty... The whole team was in their half, basically, except from Shuttleworth. I think um, that the well, first half, we played very well. It was just we got it pretty unlucky on, on two goals. The, the three um, stars of the match... Uh, the first one was Miguel, who in particular had a great first half. Um, um, I think that he, you know, he also set up uh, the goal for the second star, which is Jerome Tisson. 
we didn't really say we said that Tison moved to left back uh, in the Portland game. Tison was fantastic as a left back in Portland game. It was his most attacking game yet, uh, and I thought again he was very good uh, against Vancouver and. He got the goal, um, which he was at the top of the box and sends it in um, from distance. Then does his little uh, loon loon uh, <laughs> flapping uh, in celebration, and then the final one was Usted um, for Vancouver, who had uh, who made a couple of really good saves, particularly late on. There was a, a great cross from Kadri, who apparently can actually do something on the pitch, and uh, and Molino. Could have put it in, but you know, Usted came up big. Um, any of those three you, you want to talk about? Miguel, Tison, Usted. Or can I just up? want to go back to Alex's point that Minnesota dominated the first half because I don't think Minnesota dominated the first half. I think there's a difference in having possession and doing something with it. And yes, there were crosses that were going into the box, but I don't think that they were actually remotely close to the Minnesota targets. Like you said, they weren't getting the ball in the center of the park. And if you're not able to land a cross or get the ball central to get a viable shot on goal, I don't care how much of the ball you have. You're not dominating I mean, a game. There were two or three times think- where Miguel was doing a great job of linking up with uh, the players where he did that thing that sometimes he used to do where he comes out from the wing and he's coming central and he lays it off to Christian. Christian lays it off to him. Then he lays it off to the next right. uh, midfielder and lays it back. And it just kind of it allows them to um, test the waters and find the, find the gap. And then eventually it came to him. And I think that when he took a shot, and as we said in the last time we recorded, Miguel is he's not a killer. He doesn't look at the goal and see and like have that thing on cartoons where it suddenly turns into a you know like a a steak. Right. Um, he needs that. Someone needs to like inject him with just small little rabies. Just a just a just little enough. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, then there's also when Miguel gets the ball, he's getting those shooting from 35 yards out and it's kind of a soft dribbler to the goalkeeper. And he's done a couple instances of that in I think three consecutive games now. Um, And like you said, some of that is lacking a killer instinct. Some of that is probably him um, visualizing, you know, this is expectations and then this is reality. But I, I do think part of that is that Vancouver center backs did a very good job of neutralizing Ramirez. And I, I thought that um Parker, had a monster game out there. I, I thought that, especially in that first half, he was doing absolutely everything that he needed to do. Um, and I thought the three-man midfield that Vancouver rolled out, which looked very slow, um, I thought that they were capable, certainly. And yeah, Minnesota, uh, we're, we're done talking about the first half now, but I, I thought that Minnesota um, had the ball, but I just don't think they had any ideas of what to do with it. And I think part of that, frankly, is because Johan Venegas was on the field. Yeah, Parker is very good. For Vancouver, I, I think like that, him every every time I watch him. I think that in soccer, like sometimes, fairly often, like the the way the goals are scored, the pattern of the goals does not reflect the play. Um, sometimes it does, but in that first half, if you remember, Kevin Molino had an incredible chance. He was passed in with a beautiful pass by Jerome oh, Tison. Yeah. Might have been a shot, not sure, but it went to Molino, and he missed wide. And I mean, if he scores that, I think that I think that I think that it would reflect on our biases. It would reflect on our subconscious, and we would be relating. We'd be we'd be saying that the first half was way better than than it was. Uh, sorry, we'd be saying that the first half was way better than we're saying it is now. I think sure. that I think that that's 
you know, that's a matter of inches one way or another. I really think that if you look, Minnesota had long stretches in which they had the ball in the first and the second half. Long, long stretches in which they had the ball in the first, in the final third in the okay. Vancouver end. I mean, it was the most dominant first and second half I've seen from this team. Um, um, anyway, well, we'll fight well, when I come over to Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. Just wanted want to clarify that quick. So Minnesota, if Molino makes that shot, then Minis- we would have said Minnesota is playing better than you're saying they are now. But it was also a very dominating first half. Okay. So Cal- Calvo also got on the score sheet. I think it was it was I don't know being able to see two defenders score their first goals. Um, they're totally different. Tiaison obviously had the fantastic celebration. Um, and it was a really good shot. That was mm-hmm. a fantastically placed shot. It's like the Icopara goals uh, that he scored against Minnesota like twice within a week and a half. Um, there was also then the the Calvo header at the far post. Um, Matt Doyle did a really good analysis of this on Twitter with a, a video to show how he's kind of playing a sweeper role in that moment. And he he's able to get a tackle... Um, dribble up the field, pass it off, kind of sneak his way over to the far post, and then Cross comes in and he's able to head it in. Um, I don't expect Tiaison to be able to do that, I mean, two more times during the season, but I certainly think that you'll be able to see Calvo build some momentum off that goal, and that's that's really encouraging for Minnesota. Both of those goals, I, I just thought, what the hell is Vancouver's midfield doing? Why is How is Tison at the top of the box mm-hmm. alone? And same thing with Calvo. He makes this run, and there's no no one there. No. I just, I, I mean, both of them were. Uh, I, Vancouver has a couple of parts like Tim Parker. I think Usted's a good keeper. You know, a few of these guys who are really good. And then I think that they just have some real. Like I don't know if they're just the rest of the players are crap, but it was it was pretty funny. No, they have. They have, uh, Matthias well, they have Matthias Laba. Laba. Yeah, yeah. They, they do have, uh, you know... They have Zeppelin's dad. I, I thought Laba had yeah. a good game. Um, I thought that the problem was was not Matthias Laba. But but Tiesan scored off of a corner. It was a short corner that was played, and then went to Ibarra, and he passed across the box. Oh, that's but Calvo yeah. scoring from the run of play, I mean, I think I'm, I'm intended to... I'm sort of inclined to give them a pass there, too, because how many times as a midfielder do you think that you have to track the run of the center back every like time i do in, every in time i think that. play that, that's it's true crazy. west was known it's, for that in his MLS that was career. that was one of the weirdest plays i think we've seen from minnesota this entire year like and and i i'm struck by the fact that if in, in the winning goal in the the portland game this is scored by abu dunladi um as the ball went into the net yeah. who was following up the shot francisco calvo the dude is a center back, but he doesn't seem to know it. It's incredible. I mean, it does make you think, like, you know, at some point, if we had the two center backs, Calvo at left and Tison at right, I mean, boner alert. I, I honestly do think Minnesota could start working towards having a three-man back line of Calvo, some muscular, big anchor of a dude in the center, and then Coleman on the right, and I think that that could actually do very well. Tiesen on one wing back and Ibarra How about just other. putting Coleman and Greenspan in center defense and starting Calvo as a number 10? Yeah, <laughs> Calvo might be the best number 10 on this I mean, roster. Actually, That's a good point. Yeah, I think you've got something. All right, yeah. l- let's take a break. We'll come back. We've got a few questions, and uh, we'll take those.
Welcome back to the 55-1 podcast. Wes, Jeff, Alex, and you, listener. Uh, here we go. Uh, we've got a few questions. We didn't like take a big call for questions this week because we knew we were going to do a short show. But uh, Scott Owens sent me an email. You can always do that. Westberdine at 55.1. He says, uh, you know, I won't read it all because he says very nice things and he enjoys the podcast. I love you too, Scott. And then he says, do you believe Manny Lagos' job is on the line with the transfer window coming up? Uh, and he says, actually, we, we're going to talk about this on the season review. But, but at least let's answer this part. Is his job on the line? He, I, he talks about lots of things of decisions and whatever, Yeah, but. I don't think, if we're talking short term, I don't think there's a way Manny loses his job before the end of the year. I, I think that he still has the summer and then this coming winter pretty securely. I don't know, Alex, is that unfair? Yeah, I I agree, and I and I, I think that is rightly so. Um, I think that like the worst thing you can do as an expansion team is be really unstable and start hiring and firing people like crazy. Maybe you know, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe you're on the wrong track, and you know you should have changed it up much sooner. But I think that in the first couple of years, it really helps to just have people get settled in their roles, figure out what you're doing. I think that that's, I think that that's a set of an acceptable price to pay for your first year in MLS. Yeah. And as we'll talk about in that other podcast, we may not be doing that bad right now. And so even, even though there are things like Demidov and things like that, that we mm -hmm. want to talk about, um, Sky Benke says, uh, how do you guys feel Viva has done over the last few games against New York City? Do you run out Davis, Tison, Tison, Viva? Alex, you were going to write something similar, something on these lines, right? I, th I, I, I thought that the Vancouver game was his best game, which is a funny thing to say when he made a horrible mistake that gave away a penalty that led to a goal. Um, but he also had a number of really advanced recoveries up the field, which is something that no one on the team has done before. And he, I think, I thought, I mean, he, he was matched up against Alfonso Davies, who is one of the best and most electric wingers in the league, even though he's only 16. I thought he did actually a relatively decent job of containing him which is, yeah, I know, Davies, not the consensus opinion, but he's yeah. really a tough player to guard, and I thought Viva did decently. I think you keep playing him. I don't think he's lost his spot, honestly. Um, I'm, I also think that the fact is Tison has looked uh, really, really good out left, and maybe there's something to that. You know, if, if it's a matter of you can get Tison to be one step better on the left... Uh, you know, Davis and, and Viva might be pretty interchangeable in terms of their level. Um, uh, they, they're very different players, but, you know, you might get, you're basically the, the same same level there. But. Uh, I look at it, and if I'm going specifically New York City, Tiaison is, I, I, think it's, I think he's obviously the best fullback on this team. I don't think that there's any question about that, regardless of which position he plays. But defensively, he says that he feels more comfortable on the right. Offensively, kind of two-way player, he feels better on the left. Jack Harrison... I think it's the opposite. Well, Jack it? Harrison is the right winger for uh, the New York City FC. 
And if you want to stabilize that, I think Davis is a better defender than Viva is. And so I I would go Davis Tiesan as much for the matchup as Viva's last week. I, I think that Viva showed But that you're but you're putting Davis against Harrison in that. Yeah, right wing and, against left back. And then I'm not putting Viva against either Maxi Morales or uh Rodney McNamara or Rodney yeah. Wallace. Yeah. I think, I, okay. I think any yeah. of those would be a Tisson terrible Tisson does okay. say he's better defensively out left. Though. I thought it was attacking left, no. defense right. Because he likes his right foot to put crosses in. And sure. So, anyway, and then he, he's anyway, really good. That, it's hard to tell. <laughs> I, I think. I, I think. What's we? But what's odd is that he has been the most, the best. He's been a better attacker on the left. Which, um, so the, the next question from Leo Bickelhaupt, who also sent me an email. I got two emails this week. I felt so not lonely. He says, Johan reached a new low on Saturday, as far as I can tell. He had few key offensive touches. They were memorably awful. His runs off the balls didn't look sharp, and I hear he appeared to have some kind of argument with Heath. Yikes. How bad is it for Johan, and what do you think is next for him? Also, he says, P.S., he played crab soccer in gym in fifth grade, which came up last episode when you guys made fun of me. So, Hmm. Johan? Either of you? Jeff? Alex, this is... Oh, shit. Okay. Um, I, I So I, I asked Keith about this after the game because Johan had a poor game. Johan was upset about coming off the field. As far as coming off the field, Adrian immediately responded, good, I'm glad he was upset. No player should ever be happy to be subbed off the field. It shows that he's hungry. As far as finding someone who's going to be able to hold down that second striker spot, because it clearly isn't a true number 10 position between Dunlady and Venegas, injuries and suspensions aside, Heath said that they're really bare bones at this point. Neither of them have stepped up and shown that they should be starters, and Minnesota desperately needs reinforcements. So first off, what's next for Minnesota? I think you'll see someone either in that second striker position or as a number 10 come into Minnesota, I don't think you're going to see like a designated player. I don't think you're going to see a Pedro Morales type, a Diego Valeri type, uh, Ignacio Piatti type, um, or literally Pedro Morales for that matter, because his contract expires this summer. I don't think that you're going to see any of those, but instead someone within the league, maybe as far as what's next for Johan, if Minnesota is able to bring someone in to fill that position, Johan and Dunlady being your two attacking bench options, that's not bad. You know that gives a lot of versatility as far as who plays where, and both I, of them I can think play that's, out on the wing too. Wing yeah, too. they I can. Mean, so yeah. I, I think that that's that's the best case for Minnesota. Whether Johan agrees, I doubt he would, but I, I think ultimately that would be best for the team. Uh, Wes, do you have any? Uh, no, I, I think that um, I didn't get a chance to go back and rewatch it, um, uh, other than uh, watching some longer highlights. So I, I don't think I had any thoughts on how bad he was or not. I, I didn't, I, I don't think at any point I, did I like curse his name to the heavens? So, um, yeah, so I, I don't have much to add there. I, I think that exactly what you say, we need better options there. I, I read the quotes that you, that you tweeted out from, from Heath and they, they, uh, I mean, you could very easily see read between the lines that it was just like, these guys are not good enough. I need better sign me someone better and you know we'll talk about that in the 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 mid-season review i mean we certainly need uh that's probably one of the top uh two needs for the team so alex any thoughts on johan or crab soccer no i think he covered it 
<laughs> Jeffrey Mangan, final question says For this week's podcast, I'm still newish to MLS fandom. Is Joe Ledley out of an MLS wage scale? Uh, thank you, Jeffrey, for the questions. Anyone feel free to ask total noob questions because they're because that's a good question. Joe Ledley, uh, Crystal Palace guy, uh, was at Cardiff, all these places, right? Um, he makes about 1.6 million a year. So, Jeff, what do you think? Uh, he's definitely not out of MLS wage scale. However, I think he's out of Minnesota's. If you're looking at him to come in as like the number eight, I I don't think that would be someone Minnesota would look at, but. Uh, it's a question of if some team valued that number eight position and said, that's the one thing we need to really push for a playoff, then you could see someone like Joe Ledley coming in as a DP. But I think that at this point, he has a couple of years left in the Prem before he would even for, go back to the For reference, for reference, Kaká makes $7 million, So that's the upper end. And yeah. Kaká is not only a former Ballon d'Or winner, but he is an extraordinarily well-known athlete around the world and the face of a franchise. So right. but the that's the MLS wage scale. Yeah, and the 1.6 is, is you know, it, it's not, it, that's not Clint Dempsey. I mean, there are people around the league, I, I should have looked this up, you know, other DPs, what they're currently making. Bringing him in for 1.3, 1.4, te- teams would do that. Um, Minnesota, from what we gather, Minnesota is looking for the DP player who's around 800,000. Uh, something like that. For for reference, eight hundred thousand is about what Ignacio Piatti and Diego Valeri were on right. um, at the beginning of their second contracts, which is to say, after they'd already proven themselves, which is to say, you can find very good players for even less than that. Yeah, and I think I think the thing is for for fans who are coming to Minnesota and they're EPL people and they know that none of those players, even championship players, they just make so much money in that league in those leagues in England um, that when you, when you see in a guy's like, Oh, that guy's available. Almost certainly he's probably not coming to, to the, to the U S because you know, you can find Diego Valeri, Piatti's. Those are the guys who they want to find. They, they don't want to find this guy where they're overpaying because England has already inflated their price. You can find Joe Ledley is a very good player. And if we got him for 800,000, it would be very good. Mm-hmm. But you know, you you can find a similar player to Joe Ledley for eight hundred thousand in Argentina. Fair. So that will do it for the traditional fifty-five one podcast of the week. We'll come back with the fifty-five one podcast extra, the a- avant-garde, the avant-garde uh, one where it's it's going to be all angles. Uh, so thank you very much. Um, we'll just say goodbye. Come find us on Twitter and Facebook and all these things and uh, leave comments on on the website we love them and